there, welcome back to this special SciDevNet podcast series on water conflicts and water cooperation. I'm Fiona Broom, the podcast and features editor at SciDevNet. This is the third and final episode in a three-part series on the new expert guide from the IHE Delft Institute for Water Education called Water Conflicts and Cooperation, a Media Handbook. The book was developed to provide a background on water diplomacy. It aims to help journalists and policymakers understand the ways that media, science and politics interact and the impact that this has on water diplomacy. In our first episode, my guests discussed their research on the role of the media in water diplomacy. And in the second episode, we looked at why training is so important for water reporting. This week, we're talking about communication. My guests are reporters and water and gender specialists, and we'll discuss their experiences communicating and reporting on water conflicts and cooperation. I'm joined today by Azahra Jadala, a multimedia journalist based in Sudan. We also have Alexandra Said, who's currently working with the United Nations Environment Program in Ethiopia. And Frederick Mujira joins us from Uganda, where he works as a water and climate change journalist, media trainer and development communications specialist. Azahra, when you started reporting on water just a few years ago, what did you expect? Did you think that the topic might be a bit dry? Um, and did the reality match with your expectations? To be completely honest, uh, I can say that I, I, uh, I chose water reporting. Uh, it's kind of, we, <laughs> I don't know, it chose me or maybe we chose each other. Because uh, in 2017, when the platform I, I was working for uh, shift their interest towards uh, environment and water reporting, um, I, I had that option to do it. And um, as I, I said, I, I was excited because it, it's a new thing for me to focus on just one thing for, for some time. And um, also, it, it, it was a major change in my career because um, right then I was thinking I don't want to do this the same way anymore. I don't want to stay in the capital and just report about Khartoum and Khartoum issues. I wanted to go other places to meet people in rural areas to 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 um, write about things that people don't write about here in Sudan to give those people a voice. So. Uh, when I started that year, I traveled to three different locations uh, to cover water. So it's kind of not just the, the new field of journalism, even the, the, the new um, new locations as well, and this new kind of adventures, if you may call it. And uh, also, the next year I was uh, started. I started to work on projects, not just. Uh, stories, uh, projects that are investigations. So um, it, it was a change for me for in, in many ways, in many different ways. And I think it's really important, um, especially in a country like Sudan, when people actually don't focus on writing about the environment or water, 
even though we have plenty of issues that's related to water and environment to write about, I mean, journalists write about things that are related to water when they are when they are coming from a political point of view, like when they're covering dam issues. But uh, that that needs to that needs a change. And uh, in the recent year, I have um, attended uh, some events and uh, conferences and workshops that are trying to enlighten uh, Sudanese journalists about these kind of issues. So I hope that the future will be different because people, uh, the, people uh, the, the audience need to have uh, more awareness about uh, lots of problematic issues that can be very uh, disastrous in the future and, and the change should happen now. I mean, we, we, we are not only running out of time globally, we ran out of time. So we need, we need solutions and we need focus on these issues. And uh, water is becoming more and more uh, one of the most valuable assets in the world, whether we like to believe that or whether we like it or not. And um, these issues need to be highlighted and uh, I can't stress enough on how important it is for Sudan, to, for journalists, for the media in this country to focus on water reporting and environment reporting. So, Alexandra, when you're communicating about water diplomacy, does gender matter? And what do women bring to conversations about sensitive topics such as water and conflict? Why is it important to have them involved in the conversations? Uh, well, gender always matters, whether you're communicating about water diplomacy, sustainable development, or even artificial intelligence. Gender is, of course, not the only factor to take into consideration when you're communicating about various topics. But in our article, we focused on the importance of including women when reporting about water diplomacy, because water diplomacy meets at the intersection of diplomacy and water governance, and both are fields which have historically been dominated by men. And although women are still not participating in equal numbers, it is important to highlight those that are in fact there at the table. And most often when media reports about diplomacy or security, we are shown pictures of men in suits. We wanted to highlight that there are women who work in this field and they might not be shown in media, but they are there and doing the work. When it comes to water scarcity or environmental degradation, we know that women and children feel the consequences at a greater extent than men, but that doesn't mean that women are victims. They are also part of the solution. And representation matters, so we shouldn't only portray women as victims, because in fact, they are often the change makers. And through having a gender sensitive media reporting, we can change the narrative and the perceptions that we as a global society have about women and the capabilities of women to lead high level decision making, especially in the environmental governance. And if we want to achieve the sustainable development goals, we, we must also include the perspectives, knowledge and concerns of women from various socioeconomic, ethnic and cultural groups. The United Nations asserts that gender equality is a prerequisite to achieve all other sustainable development goals, and therefore gender matters. On the second part of your question, uh, what, what do women bring to the conversation? Well, they bring their own unique perspectives. It's not only about having more women at the table, but also various kinds of women from different backgrounds to reflect the different communities within a state. 
And, but re research also asserts that having women and a the diverse set of stakeholders in the negotiation table, it increases the likelihood of reaching more equitable and sustainable solutions to various issues. So it is, of course, imperative to include women in all high-level decision-making, including water diplomacy. And Frederick, um, you work with a number of projects in the region, is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, could you tell me a bit about the, the organisations? I am a water journalist. I've been uh, uh, writing about water for the last 15 years. But uh, uh, what is important is that in 2011, I uh, founded a network of journalists in Africa who report about water called Water Journalists Africa. We are about 700 journalists in the, on the continent. And then on, in uh, 2016, I worked with uh, an American journalist and we founded InfoNile. InfoNile is a geojournalism platform. We have about 400 journalists uh, who are members of, of this network in, uh, in the Nile Basin. Yes. So when you're communicating the story of water, um, are you really talking about the stories of shared narratives? Yes, it depends on how you look at it. It is important to know, you know, for the journalists, uh, the stories the journalists tell about water shape uh, the stakeholders' responses. So this is why it is important for these journalists to tell these stories in uh, clear formats and uh, you know that uh, will inform the audience who take decisions so water is a shared commodity as we all know so this is bound to lead to inter you know intersubjectivity around issues of water and uh, you know it is being a sh it being a shared resource means it's call it calls for shared uh, uh, management of this resource i'll give you an example uh, of um, uh, my village in Uganda, where I come from, you find, uh, for example, or if you look at wet, at the wetland and you find the wetland has been, you know, uh, a source of water for the village and the people are, you know, someone comes in to encroach on it, destroy it, and then you find people, you know, all from all the villages where, who have been, you know, getting water from this uh, wetland coming in, you know, to fight this man, to fight this lady, to make sure it doesn't, you know, uh, uh, encroach on it to fail them from getting water. So uh, I strongly believe, yes, uh, one of the approaches of communicating, in a better way, of course, the story of water is through shared narratives. These stories, anecdotes, you know, narratives help to increase comprehension, interest, and engagement around the, you know, the story of water. Uh, yeah, and also, you know, shared narratives allow stakeholders to develop a common perspective or a common ground about water, you know, which helps to inter which helps these uh, stakeholders to, you know, to interpret issues about water in a similar way. We've been uh, seeing this especially through our network. Also, you know, shared narratives are, are built from the bottom up. So, and these stories of water mostly affect the uh, users of water on, on uh, let me say, in, in rural areas. Eh? Uh, this gives them a chance to have, you know, their voices in this story. Yeah, not just, you know, writing a story about water and you think you, when you talk to, you know, diplomats and then uh, government officials and then you end it there, it, it, the, the story would be incomplete, you know, with, without, you know, 
uh, these voices of the local people. Yes, so uh, I strongly believe that, uh, you know, uh, it's all about, you know, shared narratives. But, you know, you must know that on the other hand, uh, you know, shared narratives uh, may leave little room for other interpretations, you know, around water. Yeah, but uh, I strongly believe uh, uh, there are shared narratives, yeah. So, Alexandra, a journalist who's approaching a story about uh, a shared, an international water body, um, what kinds of questions should they be asking themselves when they approach the story? And what sorts of questions should they be asking the people they interview about these political processes surrounding the international water bodies? Um, I mean, that's a tough question, but I think that journalists should not be afraid to ask the tough questions. Uh, water diplomacy can be sensitive, like all diplomacy, um, but I think they should ask the tough questions. And they should also, in this case, you know, talking about the lack of women, they should, when they see a delegation which doesn't represent the society, for example, an all-male delegation, you know, be brave enough to ask, where are the women? Um, and ask questions that reflect what the local communities are concerned about. Because sometimes the political uh, dialogues and messages are from a very high level, like the state level, and it doesn't really consider the community levels. And, and it is often the small communities that feel the negative impacts of water scarcity or wa water pollution. So I think that journalists should ask the, the decision makers, if the solution that they are reaching, do they have a long term perspective for the people and the communities rather than short term political gains uh, and for power. So in the end, you know, climate change doesn't acknowledge borders. So the solutions that we come up with must be international as well. So Azahra, what are the greatest challenges that you face when reporting on water? Is navigating the politics possible when national interests are at play? Most of the challenges that I face are the kind of challenges anybody working on a third world country would face to, to report on uh, certain issues or to work on journalistic stories in general. So um, I think... Uh, there is no specific challenges that's related to water except for maybe few. Uh, for example, I was working, uh, I was doing this investigation, I think three or four years ago about uh, water access in uh, about the quality of water and water access at uh, this place in the outskirts of Omdurman city. And people were, were experiencing uh, illnesses that might be water formed, but at the same time, I, I can't really write that without proving it. So I try to take samples of water uh, to to be uh, and, and send it to a lab. And the only credible lab in the country needed this a lots of procedures in order to get this done. So they kept sending me back and forth to have letters from the newspaper, have letters from the police, have letters from here and there, and that took about three weeks. And at the very end, after I got everything they, they asked me for, and I thought they, they thought I would give up at certain point, they only said that, okay, we, we, we can do this now, but we don't have the, the resources. <laughs> and the samples, you can't bring the samples, we have to conduct them, them ourselves, and we don't have the resources to send the car and stuff 
to that place to do so. So that's that's one one uh, example of the issues that one might face. And also, of course, uh, I can't really um, say that the situation is still the same after the revolution in Sudan. And I also can't say that it has changed. But uh, during al-Bashir time, it was really hard to write about things that the government don't want uh, anybody to write about. So I ran into issues with uh, national security before um, covering this particular uh, issue in, in the west of the country regarding the oil business and how it was damaging to the environment and how it was harming people and their, their water. Uh, the water sources and um, animals, whatever. So uh, that that was something that that was very dangerous to do. And actually, I had to work it undercover, and I was chased by the national security. So that's one issue. But um, as I said in, in in the chapter in the book, there is no story that was uh, like jeopardizing your your well-being and safety. But uh, in, in that time in particular, I chose to, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to be very careful. Uh, and that's what happened, and then the story came out, and actually it, it inspired some changes, and there was this activist from the area who, uh, before the revolution and after that, uh, they are, they are uh, using the, the story as a reference to, to documentation of the, the harm that uh, had been done to the people of the area by the oil companies. So I, I, I'm very proud of that, and I think uh, it was the right choice that I chose to continue and to work on it just with um, different measures of safety and um, being careful and stuff like that. So challenges like this happen, and I think that uh, they are not limited to water reporting, but uh, it, it has to do with the environment you're working on, the country you're working on with the authorities. But uh, maybe in the future things will change, and um, well, I certainly hope that it's uh, working. So the journalistic work in Sudan becomes more uh, supported by the state, at least. No doubt you've also faced some sil- similar challenges as a journalist. Um, but Frederick, you also set yourself the task of reporting on biodiversity and climate change, which are scientifically complex issues and may also be seen as boring um, by editors and also audiences. Mm. How do you make biodiversity relevant to your audiences? Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. I've been writing about biodiversity for some time, especially through uh, our network, InfoNile. Uh, and also, you know, other stories that I write for different media houses and also editing these stories at New Vision here in Uganda where I work. The, I can give an example of the story that I feel is, is it's an, an outstanding biodiversity piece that I did. Uh, I looked at uh, uh, amphibians in Uganda and, you know, how over uh, 100 uh, species of amphibians in Uganda, you know, I mean, taking stock of these amphibians, and and one of them that is you know is is kind of disappeared in the mountain Ergon, and in what science scientists are doing, 
you know, looking at the amphibians in, in Uganda. And these are stories that are not usually told. You know, you would wonder, you know, when I was working on this story, on this particular story, find people asking me, oh my God, what? What do you tell the story about frogs? Who cares? But uh, yes, it is important to care because uh, they are important. And one of the, of the things I do is let people tell their own stories. And also, we are, I've been using also on uh, on water journalists Africa and Infonile, even here in New Vision, who have been using uh, creative and interesting methods, you know, such as the use of maps, short videos, you know, drone journalism, satellite imagery, you know, you know the use of data journalism. You know, these give uh, a story a new look and attract audience, mostly the young young audience. Eh? The youth, you know, those who do not want, you know, to uh, take time to read a long piece, they are able to look at maps, you know, they are able to uh, watch the video, you know, they are able to look at this uh, satellite imagery. And you know, it is important to tell these stories. The story of environment, you know, if you told a story of environment using drone images, it would be perfect to show this forest has been destroyed and to what extent, you know, telling from above. Yeah, and also this attracts scientists. Yeah? You know, these scientists uh, know much more of this stuff. And if they see it in, in our stories, they are bound to read them. Again, you know, use of simple and common examples. These examples are given by, you know, people, you know, some uh, uh, common and known. Yeah, so I use simple examples. And also I define hard terms. You know, when I was telling the story of amphibians in Uganda, I faced so many hard times, several that I had not heard of, you know. Yeah, so I, but I made sure I work with scientists to find these terms, you know, simple, in a simple way to make sure that my audience, you know, comes to understand these things. Yeah, so the use of, you know, creative and interesting language, you know, as you write, you know, you tell a story so that, you know, the audience can follow. But also, uh, I expose and explain issues in ways that make more sense to ordinary people and which invite reaction and participation. You, know, you see, when you write about something that you know, affects uh, uh, the reader, the ordinary person, he's bound to make sure he keeps reading uh, yeah, the story and you know, to follow up what happens, what is coming up, or, you know, how does it affect me, yeah, things of that nature. Yeah, that's right. That's our program for today. My guests were Azahra Jadala, Alexandra Said, and Frederick Mujira. This is our final episode in this special podcast series, but make sure to join us on the 1st of March for our live online debate, where we'll continue the conversation and bring together the water diplomacy community, including journalists, researchers, peace and security specialists, and diplomacy experts. The debate will be hosted by myself and SciDevNet, the world's leading source of reliable and authoritative news, views and analysis about science and technology for global development. We'd love to know what you would like discussed during the debate. You can send your questions about water diplomacy or science journalism to news at SciDev.net. That's news at S-C-I-D-E-V.net. There's also a brand new open online course on science communication for water cooperation and diplomacy, which will start on the 2nd of March. 
The online course, which is free of charge, will enable participants to develop practical skills to confidently engage with the media and effectively communicate their research and professional work. To sign up for the course, go to the IHE Delft website or you can find the link on the SciDevNet article for this episode. I'm Fiona Broom and thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by SciDevNet with support from the IHE Delft Institute for Water Education and the DUPC2 project.